This series gives you a direct line to the pinnacle traders. We're covering everything from when the odds are initially posted to looking at how the market might react. This is the opening line. It's preview time for week 15 of the NFL season on the opening line. The playoff picture is getting clearer, but our focus is on analysing this weekend's game, seeing how they might play out, and crucially, if there's any potential value in the market. As always, the man to help me do that is Adam Chernoff. How's things, Adam? There's always potential value in the market. It's just a matter of whether that value actually is realised by the time some of these games play out. That's the key, isn't it? And I guess you're... Hoping for a little bit of less of a emotional roller coaster this week. Yeah, I we were just talking before we hit record, and I said everything's already in the accounts, and it's Thursday before lunchtime, and everything's ahead of the number. Everything's looking good, which, as the season has gone, can mean nothing but terrible things come Sunday. Well, time will tell. Let's get into the games and see what happens. Let's do it. Right, so Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Detroit Lions, and this one's hovering around the flat three when it opened. It's still there on Tampa Bay, minus three and a half. Not many bettors keen on the over, it seems, as the 45 points total is dropping, and it it looks like it could go even further. You know all too, too well how that crazy game was for the Buccaneers against the Colts last week, and their success, as ever, came from a big game from Winston. You think there's a great matchup for them because the Lions are really poor against the pass. However, the Buccaneers aren't much better, so... While they might score a fair few points, they'll likely give them up as well. Is that what you think will happen? I will be curious to see what the case is with Jameis Winston. Today in practice, there were videos of him throwing tennis balls, which are not footballs, but because of his hand injury that he suffered in that game in the second half against the Colts last week. So we're now Thursday post-practice, and he has not been able to grip a football. The step down from him in this offense is pretty enormous. And on the other side is David Blau, who looked somewhat reasonable. I guess the Bears in the first quarter and a half on Thanksgiving, but since then has looked very much like the third string quarterback, which he is, and very much like the prospect coming into the NFL that really nobody had any uh, upside in seeing him have any success in the NFL. So uh, potentially a case where, We have two backup quarterbacks at best in this game going at each other against two pass defenses that have been suspect to the pass. So it really becomes a question of can either of these potential starters throw the football? And if Jameis Winston is in, it still feels like a pretty large number for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to be laying at three and a half. So seems like this is a price to potentially get to four. Not sure I agree with that, but not sure I'm necessarily interested in taking Detroit at this number given the problems that they're going to have offensively. Well, it's one thing Winston throwing a football instead of a tennis ball, but he hasn't got Mike Evans to throw it to either. He pulled up, was it hamstrings, striding into the end zone? How big of a miss do you think he's going to be? Hey, we've, we saw them come back against the Colts without him, but there's been other times this season where he's been out, and it's an enormous loss for this defense, as much as Godwin has become a, an integral part of what Jameis likes to look for, not having Evans there allows defense to key in on Godwin, so that changes the matchup overall. Um, quite a substantial amount so certainly a downgrade too and it just plays into the fact that Tampa Bay laying this many points really to anyone especially on the road just looks like a large proposition for them to cover. Now we've got Philadelphia Eagles at the Washington Redskins and the market's normally pretty big on Philadelphia and while we've spoken about the potential for them to turn things around and go back to your power ratings and then being rock bottom of that 
it just doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon and not of the odds of this game or anything to go by either. They are the favourites, but a weak minus four and a half. We've also got a low over under as well at 39. Some people might point to issues at wide receiver for the Eagles, I guess, but they're doing okay with the makeshift pass offence. I don't think the Redskins will be all too worried about the defensive side of the game because they can't really do much when they've got the ball anyway. So it's a lot of reliance on the run. One of their biggest threats is missing the game. Hard to make a case for Washington. At least I think there is. Is is there something I'm missing? Well, it's the first time in a while that I've really downgraded the Eagles within my ratings, and it's due to their their lack of options in the passing game. And I think it's, you said some people, I think it's becoming pretty obvious, and hopefully soon everybody points to this and realizes how bad the Eagles' management has botched this down the stretch, whether it be cutting two wide receivers just a week and a half ago or not failing to acquire anyone prior to the deadline. This was a team that finished the game against the Giants on Monday night. They couldn't run three wide receiver sets because they did not have three wide receivers healthy anywhere in the roster. There was potential for Josh McCowan, a backup quarterback, to have to line up at wide receiver because they're just out of guys. And now Alshon Jeffrey, their number one receiver, gets put on IR this morning. If Whiteside is hurt in this game along with Aguilar, that means that the Eagles are going to enter this game with two wide receivers in Robert Davis, who was just promoted from the practice squad today, and Greg Ward Jr., who was always the bottom guy on the depth chart. So it's becoming pretty dire for the Philadelphia Eagles, who are going to be playing a lot of weird two and three tight end sets against the Washington Redskins, which may in its own self be a positive for them to work out. But without any guys out wide, this offense really depends on the space that those guys generate. And not being able to have any of that space created really puts a lot of strain on this offense. So Redskins in many ways playing up, especially defensively against the pass in the last couple of weeks. They've done well there. This is probably a pretty favorable matchup for them overall, but not a spot where I want to back Washington like I have the past two weeks where they had a really big advantage running the football against both the Packers and the Panthers. Now they're going up against this Philadelphia Eagles defensive line, which despite the issues elsewhere on the team, has remained one of the best units in the NFL. So very difficult matchup for the Redskins here running the football into this Eagles front. That probably keeps it close and still ultimately gives the Eagles a win and sets up that big game against the Cowboys next week for the division. And we got, we just kind of talked about Mike Evans for the Buccaneers. You said Philadelphia wide receivers issues, guys for the Redskins, countless quarterbacks injured. I mean, we'll talk about injuries, I'm sure, later on in the podcast. Is this something as we get towards the end of the season that it builds up, or is this just just standard kind of NFL practice and something you always have to be aware of when handicapping? I think I, I don't have data on this, but my general feeling is that injuries have gone up um, just overall in general since the changes to the CBA, which resulted in less practices, less physicality. Um, but what I have noticed this year is there's been a lot of obviously interested quarterbacks, but a lot of guys have sort of been shut down uh, later in the season, sort of in these last three to four weeks where usually there would sort of be a push to get them back. But like we're seeing like Mike Evans, a perfect example, obviously he gets the hamstring injury, a serious injury, but there's been really no effort from a lot of guys to come back. And in addition to that, I think there's been a lot of injuries that have been mishandled by teams and medical staffs. There's been more calling out of medical staff, more talk about the medical staff on these teams and whether that's just, 
the availability of communication around those topics or something else playing into that. Uh, there's no question that it seems like, especially in the last sort of three or four weeks as we get closer to the end of the season, there's just been more guys designated to IR than to me it seems like there has been in years past. Our next game is the Chicago Bears at the Green Bay Packers. Traders opened Green Bay up at minus five. They're still on the minus five now. A point has come off the over-under and it looks pretty set on 40. The Packers, I mean, have just about been doing enough this season, getting wins when they should, um, despite kind of what we've seen on the field. We've talked about that a little bit. There's been no outstanding performances that really jump out and you have to think that sounds bad to say it for you, but they're not going to get away with playing games like this as we get round to the playoffs. And as for the Bears, Mitch Trubisky has had his doubters, seems to be progressing well, going to have to deal with a lot of pressure from the Packers' defence. And I think those doubters will also look to that recent schedule to to note his recent step up. This one was absolute stinker of a game at the start of the season, a 10-3 win for the Packers. I hope we're not going to see something similar, but is that what you think is going to happen? 10-3 football is fun watch, fun football to watch. I don't mind those results. Great way to start the season. <laughs> um there's a a tin foil hat sitting in the basement theory being chucked around about the Chicago Bears. And essentially it works out where Matt Nagy knew coming into the season. And and this is all this is all somewhat hearsay. But if you do go back and look at how Nagy was talking about coming into the season, it, it really starts to make sense when you piece it together. But it basically went that Matt Nagy realized early that he did not see long-term value with Mitchell Trubisky. We know Matt Nagy runs a very complex offense, and he basically set Trubisky up for failure with a lot of very difficult schemes, a lot of very difficult play calls that didn't suit his style of play. And so this is sort of the theory that's being kicked around uh, amongst betters within the NFL as well as some analysts too. And in the last couple of weeks, we've seen a difference where a lot of the play calls have been simplified. Trubisky has been encouraged to run more, something he did very well last year and was part of the success that the Bears offense as a whole had. And we're seeing this offense look a lot better in the last two to three weeks since these changes have been made. And there's almost like a changing within how Nagy is approaching these games and the attitude he has that says, hey, now we're kind of still in this thing. We have a chance. I proved my point early in the season. Now we'll let him go back to it. And it's been a lot of sort of single reads. If it's not there, take off and run. And the Bears have scored points and been able to move the football. So that's just kind of sitting out there. I don't know if I necessarily fully and completely buy into it. I'm not sure how that equates to within the betting market. Very difficult to take that and put it into a number. But the point is that the Bears are scoring points. And this Green Bay Packers defense, extremely vulnerable against the run, the last in generating negative plays. And anytime the Bears can be in shorter down and distance, it gives them a much better chance to pick up the first downs, move the football, and obviously score points. So you look at the Packers as a whole, uh, giving up just shy of half a yard of play more than they are gaining on offense. When you're doing that, that's not a formula for winning football in the NFL a very unsustainable record in close games decided within one score. A lot of things have been bouncing right for the Green Bay Packers over the course of the season. And now we're seeing the market sort of adjusting to that with now the third week in a row, we've seen the number shorten against them. So I don't think it's a surprise to see the Bears take money. I think they're definitely the side to look for in this game. They haven't hit my account yet, but um, th this number does seem a little bit steep for the Green Bay Packers to be laying against 
the Chicago Bears. Well, it's certainly a, a strange narrative, and I completely agree, very difficult to put put things like that into a betting context with Trubisky being set up to to fail. Do you do you put any effort into trying to research that yourself and looking for it or is there just do you think there's an element of confirmation bias going on here where you kind of you hear these things and then we kind of seek them out and we find reasons to back up these these strange narratives I think it's the latter I it would probably be a, a bias of my own if I if I was denying that it was not the latter um but it's I don't know it, it's certainly interesting to look through and think about and when you do go back and you see some of the things he was saying and how the play calls were split up earlier in the season. There, there's probably an element of truth to it, but when it comes to putting something like that into context within a betting market, it's just, it's very difficult to do. Right now we've got the New England Patriots at the Cincinnati, Cincinnati Bengals and it's the over-under that's seen the movement on this game so far. A small jump from 40 and a half to 41 and a half, but it's still trending up. The Patriots opened at minus, what were they, minus 10? Um, and we said about money coming in on the Bengals last week, the market seems to like them again, but not enough to push that handicap down. Um, two losses on the spin for the Patriots. They shouldn't have an issue, any issues getting on back on track here. I guess if the Bengals are to get anything out of the game, it's going to be on the ground as the Patriots are continue to drop on those defensive metrics. There is, a, I guess, a case to be made for their offensive metrics dropping as well, but it's at not such a rate to, to be concerned about. On paper, it looks pretty straightforward for the Patriots. Do you think that's the case? Yeah, interesting number in total, uh, sitting on the key number of 10. The traders have, at Pinnacle, been sort of on a false 10 for the majority of the week, and they haven't wavered from that. Open 10 plus 109, 2.09, now 10 plus 106, 2.06. So not really any significant movement from the side perspective. Other places elsewhere have been anywhere from eight and a half to nine and a half to 10. And it really shows the insignificance of the number of eight as well as the number of nine specifically in just how little it takes to move a game through any of those numbers. So uh, traders pretty clear that they're just keeping this on the key number of 10 really no need to move it off of that. I think the total move from 40 and a half through the key number 41, a bit telling in and of itself. And usually when you see a number like this move up that's short to begin with, usually correlates to some money coming in on the favorite as well. Um, I really don't have too much input into this game in terms of a side of a total. It's not one that I see much of an edge in. I think both of the numbers set well. That box score for Cincinnati against the Browns it's pretty damning overall, despite having some success running the football on the ground. Really, the passing game uh, was never going for the Cincinnati Bengals. It's two weeks in a row where the Bengals have drawn attention within the market, depending where you look. Um, I, I could see all the reason to potentially fade New England with their offense. But the truth is that this is a significant step down in class for the Patriots offense, as well as their defense in terms of who they're facing and matching up against. So... Uh, I think there's probably just a natural hesitation for a lot of people to buy into New England, but I can't see how Cincinnati in any way is decided in this game. Maybe no interest at the numbers, and we have just talked about the danger of buying into narratives, but some of the things I've seen on Twitter this week are kind of saying, are the Patriots intentionally not putting a full game together? Are they kind of toning things down against playoff teams as a tactic to then pick it up in the playoffs and have an edge in terms of the game plan? Is that... Is that a possibility, do you think? 
No, it's anything will come up with the Patriots. Anytime there's a rumor about a player, it's the video with Bill Belichick walking out of the tunnel against the Lions, um, stiffing like six-year-old kids looking for a high five with the Stone Cold Steve Austin music playing behind it. It's it's just how we approach talking about the Patriots, and people like to do that. Um, if you're putting players out to play at less than a hundred percent, you're risking injury for all of them in a league like this and how physical and fast the games are. Um, is there to an extent potentially plays that aren't revealed? Like is, is Belichick and McDaniels, are they not showing everything they have in the playbook against some of these weaker opponents? Absolutely. That's true. Uh, there's no question about that, but in terms of throwing games or performing at a less than, less than optimal, like it, it I don't buy into that and, and nor should any better. Now we've got the Houston Texans at the Tennessee Titans. We're moving on from a game there where, where there wasn't a lot of interest. I'm pretty sure this one, there is going to be a lot of interest. I said the traders like the Texans. You said you like the Texan, Texans. Everyone seemingly likes the Texans, but we're still at the minus three on Tennessee. Now, however, there was also a lot of love on the over, and that's where we're seeing the interesting move. 48 and a half to 51. A lot of hype here about Ryan Tannehill, especially what he's done in comparison to Marcus Mariota. With that, you obviously have to add in the strength of schedule. And over that time period, it seems only natural that we're going to see that big improvement. I mean, I personally have no idea what to make of the Texans. We've got a couple of blowouts, a big win against the Patriots not so not so long ago. The problem seemed to stem from that past defense. Is that where people are finding the, the case for the Titans, do you think? Well, on the Monday morning show we declared it was a green light to the over and it certainly has been every single bit of that now as we're looking at this total above the key number of 51 which is a very significant move considering where this opened there were some places that had this as low as 47 pinnacle traders a little bit more wise to this move coming opening at 48 and a half but when we're looking at a field goal move through the key number of 51 uh awfully significant and very telling why when you look at the matchup for both of these teams. Um, as you mentioned, Ryan Tannehill and the Titans look completely different than what the team was with Marcus Mariota. With Mariota, weeks one to six, Tennessee 31st in pass success rate, 21st in rush success rate. With Tannehill in, those numbers have jumped all the way up to number two in the NFL. So a significant boost in terms of uh, the offensive efficiency overall for the Tennessee Titans and the explosiveness of this offense can't be ignored as well. 16% of plays greatest explosive plays passing, 17% rushing. So there's been a ripple effect with Tannehill in under center. Derrick Henry has seen his yards per attempt jump nearly two full yards up from what it was with Mariota. The offensive line is playing better. When you put any quarterback that's as accurate as Ryan Tannehill under center in a system where there's good blocking and weapons out wide, there's going to be success like this. And we saw this with Jared Goff a year ago. We've seen it other times throughout Tannehill's career too in Miami when he had weapons and the scheme fit him as well. So it's not super surprising to see this upgrade, uh, but the level that he's playing at, if he would be doing this for the whole season, he's right there in the MVP discussion overall um obviously the schedule as you mentioned comes into this and you always have to validate the numbers with the schedule the titans have performed extremely well offensively but this is against the third easiest schedule of opposing defenses since week seven so obviously with the extreme 
overperformance above expectation against a weak schedule. That negates it to an extent. Uh, but there's still some issues with this Titans team. Ryan Tannehill holding the ball for a very long time in the pocket. Tennessee Titans last in adjusted sack rate on the offensive line. He's also throwing it into some of the tightest windows in terms of coverage distance from the nearest defenders. So th- there's there's things that can regress and come back down to earth. Probably not going to happen against this Texans defense, which is 27th in pass success rate defense. It's going to be, again, another easy opponent for the Tennessee Titans to take advantage of. And when you combine that with the fact that this is going to be the easiest opponent since um, Oakland for the Houston Houston Texans, this becomes an extremely appealing matchup to the over. Tennessee 27th in pass defense success rate, and that's been against the second easiest schedule of opposing offenses this season. So unlike their offense where it's overperformance against a weak schedule, this is a terrible performance overall as the body of a work for the season as a whole for the Tennessee Titans secondary against a very easy schedule. The only time they played a team that ranks inside the top 10 was Kansas City. They gave up 433 passing yards, 535 yards of total offense. Houston, just by looking at rushing and passing success rate, is going to be the most difficult opponent for them to face this season. Three of their starters in the secondary are on the injury report. This is going to go over in a hurry. And I think any way you handicap this game, you have to look to the Texans as well. Uh, Could easily win this game outright. We saw this adjusted up from minus one to minus three. I don't buy that. Um, This is Texans and an over. Specifically, green light to the over on this one. Green light on the over. Big move on the over. So both teams are going to not get out of the teens, I bet. That's how the season. That's how the season has gone. Or, or more fittingly, more fittingly, it's like twenty-one seventeen at halftime. There's no point scored in the third quarter, and then a drive in the late fourth quarter to put it over falls six yards short. That's that would be the ultimate two thousand nineteen NFL scenario for an over with a Titans cover thrown in there as well. Yeah, <laughs> on a on a last second block field goal like they did against the Colts. Right, Seattle Seahawks at Carolina Panthers. Initial odds here were favouring the Seahawks. The market seems to be buying into them and they're currently minus six. Not so much interest on the over-under of those. We've got that at 48.5 and, and it's pretty much split down the middle. Earlier on in the season, there was a bit of a feeling, I know from, from the, the traders in some games and yourself, the Panthers, they might have been being a bit underestimated, but they've dropped like a rock in recent weeks. It's five losses in a row, some hefty defeats in there as well. Russell Wilson, he's had a great season so far. It, well, it was looking like that until three or four games ago. This is one where the Seahawks might want to focus on the ground game, though, as Carolina are so, so bad against that. Panthers also seem to focus on their run pretty poor through the air. And when Christian McCaffrey gets going, he's got to be their biggest threat. Is it as simple as run against run? Who comes out on top here? Well, I think the Seattle Seahawks defensive liability is really going unnoticed. And despite what we've seen them put on the field the last two games against the Rams and the Vikings, there still isn't that widespread acceptance that this is a very bad defense from front to secondary. 30th in pass success rate the last four weeks. They're allowing over 7.5 yards per attempt, 53% of passes to great successful. And against the run, 54% of rushes against grading successful for just about five yards per carry. So if Carolina has anything remaining in the tank, uh, obviously the coaching switch last week did not prove to be any sort of motivator for the team. They're going to have a chance to move the football on the Seattle defenses. Any team in the NFL does. 
uh, flip things around. As you mentioned, this fits extremely well for what Seattle wants to do. Uh, Carolina, with those issues on the interior of their defensive line due to injuries, can't stop the run against anyone now worst in the league in that regard from a success rate perspective. Seattle loves to run the football, especially early in the first half. That sets up play action even further, although it doesn't necessarily matter which running back is doing it. Um, just the effect of Russell Wilson with the play fake opens up plenty of opportunities in the secondary. So likely to see some over money come into this market. We're looking at 48 and a half. That probably goes higher between now and kickoff. I'm not sure I want to get involved laying the Seahawks at six. I'm not sure Seattle with their defensive issues should be laying that number to anyone on the road. Um, but I would probably look more so to the total than I would decide in this game. Well, again, it all comes down to the matchup. I know we'll talk about it being less efficient, but when when these two teams have it built into their offensive identity and it's such an integral part of their playbook, you, you can't ignore it. Now we've got Denver Broncos at the Kansas City Chiefs. We had the Chiefs at a pretty big minus 12 at the start of the week, and that's dropped down to minus 10. We know it's going to take some shifting off there. If anything, it's going more in favor of the Broncos. The over-under has also dropped a point and a half from 47 to 45 and a half. A couple of decent results for the Broncos since Drew Locke stepped in. Um, he's got pretty good pass defense to contend with this week with the Chiefs. Their weakness is definitely when the opposition goes on the ground. In terms of the offense, the Chiefs, are, they just don't look like the same team as last year. Mahomes doesn't look the same as last year. They're going to make the playoffs, but I think everyone will be surprised if they go as far as they did last year. Um, what are we thinking here? Can Drew Locke lead the Broncos to an upset or are the Chiefs going to get back to winning ways? I don't see Drew Locke having much success at all in this game. I think that the results that he's had in the two games to start his career um, sound and read a lot better than they look. Uh, and this is a case where uh, sometimes you have to trust your eye test. And the truth is, if you watch those games back and you look from some of the coach view angles, he's making a lot of very questionable decisions, not uncommon to what a rookie quarterback will make. Uh, but he's forcing a lot of throws, making a lot of very tight reads, a lot of late decisions um, outside of a couple passes, especially early in that Houston game that he had, he found and and made look very good. Uh, he got away with a lot, and that's being quite generous with his performance. And that goes back to the Chargers too. But overall, he's faced two secondaries. We just talked about how bad the Texans secondary and defense as a whole is. The same thing can be said about the Chargers who just rank a couple of positions better in a lot of those metrics we talked about Houston. So it's going to look very different this week against Kansas City. Football Outsiders has KC sixth in defensive DVOA against the pass. This secondary overall has held opponents 44% success rate, 9% explosive pass rate against, and overall for defensive efficiency against the pass, they're sixth in the NFL. So this is a very good secondary and a secondary that has all of those numbers validated by playing the most difficult schedule of opposing passers in the NFL. So only three teams this year has Kansas city faced that rank worse than 13th in pass efficiency offense. So it's a pretty big step down in class for a very good chief secondary against a quarterback where the perception doesn't quite realize what's going on. Um, on the field. So I think if Locke continues to sort of play with that level of confidence and continues to make these poor decisions, probably going to get exposed quite a bit here against this Kansas City secondary. Patrick Mahomes 
dealing with a hand injury of himself. My concern here with back in Kansas City was that the playbook, according to Andy Reid, was significantly altered in the second half to make up for that hand injury. Mahomes was in practice. The x-rays were negative. uh, But there was obviously a clear shift in how the plays were called in the second half, which I think carries over here. Again, for Kansas City, this is a very difficult matchup against this Denver Broncos secondary, which despite the results have rated inside the top third of the league for all key numbers for the duration of the season. So uh, it's a very difficult matchup for both of these offenses. There's a reason this total has come down and will continue to come down. And anytime you see that, again, when the under is coming down like this, it makes sense that the dog is going to come in just a little bit too. So really big number for KC at the open, probably adjusted into the right range now, but both of the movements here make sense. Is there any way, do you think, I mean, we had, obviously there was issues with Mahomes earlier in the season, but do you think as these games come along, are you now thinking for playoff picture-wise, maybe we're going to see the the hype around teams big up, go up when they get these nice matchups and they've looked pretty poor, they could kind of put in a few decent performances in the final few weeks, and then when people are talking about playoff or Super Bowl odds in a couple of weeks time that that the the Chiefs could be one of those teams that are too overhyped? Uh, I, I don't get the feeling that that's going to be the case specifically with the Chiefs this season. Um, as you mentioned, it just it's looked a lot different than what we've come to expect from last year. And I think whether it's the ankle, the knee injury, now the hand injury, there's some people with doubts about Mahomes, and and that's not saying that he's like downgraded in the minds of betters from first to to fifteenth or average. Uh, but I'm just it's a little bit less. And the truth is, this team has not been healthy for the majority of the season, especially on offense. And last year, where they were healthy for the entire season on offense, and the defense really let them down. They still this secondary for Kansas City is very very real. It's a great unit and a significant step up from what they had last year. So if this offense can ever get healthy, I mean, personally, in my power ratings, I still have them number one in the NFL, and there was no change coming off that win in New England last week. Um, so really, it's difficult because it, it, the four quarters that this team could put together when healthy is better than any four quarters any team in the league can put together. And if they had anywhere close to this type of secondary last year, there's no question they were taking home the Super Bowl. So I think it's a case of Kansas City probably potentially peaking and getting healthy at the right time if Mahomes can get things right because they have other pieces on offense coming together as well. So KC is going to be dangerous down the stretch. Right, so we'll move on to the Miami Dolphins at the New York Giants. I think we're going to go from one team at the top of your ratings to two pretty close to the bottom. Traders believe the Giants just about have the edge here with home field advantage. We got them at minus three and a half. The over-under, meanwhile, is on 46 and a half. I think I read Daniel Jones is back in practice. The Giants are better with him, despite Manning looking okay last week. But with nothing to play for, maybe that the, the Giants are going to roll out Manning one more time in front of the home fans. They could have some success through the air with the Dolphins, but they do also pretty well to, to keep it on the ground based on the Dolphins' defensive metrics. With the Dolphins, people often make out that it's all about Fitzpatrick, but he seems to be reliant on Devontae Parker for any big games. And the last I saw, that was another limited practice due to the concussion last week. It seems like a pretty even one here. And is that injury for the Dolphins the thing that could prove the difference, do you think? I think that you, just now with that preamble, spent more time on this game thinking about it than I did. (laughs) 
Um, I, I, I honestly, I have, I have nothing to input on this game. It was when I saw when it opened, I, I am not going near that. It makes sense to see this line open. I don't think anyone's going to grade either of these teams significantly better than one and the other. And from just a total perspective, it's a safe number just below the high range of the key at 47. Obviously issues in both of these secondaries, both quarterbacks now with Daniel Jones likely to come back and push the ball down the field. Uh, but it is a game I am staying away from at all costs. He must at least have a quarterback rant for us somewhere. I got, I, I gave my, my best for Eli Manning last week and that showed through in the second half. Um, <laughs> uh, I've got really zero input on this game. It's a good one to avoid for all betters. Maybe a quarterback rant can wait till the next game. Got <laughs> I, I can, I've got something here. Jacksonville Jaguars at the Oakland Raiders. I, I joked about no one being interested in this one, but of course, if the numbers are right, there's always going to be people interested. Apparently, there's people out there who like the Raiders at minus five and a half, and they've gone out to minus six and a half. No movement on the over/under though, so it's still on forty-five and a half that it opened at. I, I like to try and find positives for teams when we're doing these previews, but it's really hard to do it with the Jaguars. Everyone was loving Minshew early in the season. He's been exposed since then. He's also got a poor pass defense that might make him look good here, I guess. Um, for Oakland, it's it's all about whether Josh Jacobs plays or not. If he does, he could have a field day. My guess is the reason we've seen the Raiders move on the spread is that people are growing in confidence that he's going to get the game. So were you one of the early ones here or was it a stay away from you from the start? So I thought we were sticking within the rotation numbers and going to Buffalo-Pittsburgh, but because of the flex schedule, that gets moved down to the bottom. So despite it being game 321-322 after the Giants and Dolphins, um, that'll come later. So I, I was a bit early with my quarterback comment. I think I think you framed this game quite well, especially looking at the past defenses. Oakland, 28th in terms of passing success rate defense on the season. Jacksonville, the last four weeks. 29th and they're allowing 10.0 yards per attempt against which is an enormous number anytime that a opposing passer over the course of four weeks and four different teams are able to average a pass that generates a first down on average that's not a good sign for any defense this is going to be the ultimate narrative game of the season the Oakland Raiders playing the last game in the Oakland Coliseum everybody knows how strong the fan base is the problem I have with this game, which I think to an extent has been fueled up by that narrative, is if you're betting into this number thinking that nobody else is aware that this is the last game that the Raiders are going to be playing in the Coliseum, you're not. it's not an edge that you can use within this market. Like everybody knows that that's the case, and everybody thinks that that's going to lead to a better effort from the Oakland Raiders. If that's not priced into the line, then every bookmaker across the world is missing – the most obvious narrative probably in the last five years of betting on the NFL. So there's no question in my mind that this number's inflated. And there's no question in my mind that the majority of people listening to this show are going to be extremely tempted to bet the Oakland Raiders just because of that narrative. Looking at the other side, the Jags, uh, there's a lot of rumors about some of the defensive players wanting out. There's a lot of uh, question marks about why Bouye's on the field. Um, playing the defensive back, some of the effort that he's put in has been less than questionable, and that would be giving him a very favorable review. So the numbers, as I just mentioned, obviously showing the downtick in performance. But this is a Raiders pass attack, despite being as efficient as they are, 
has not been great at exposing weak secondaries. And whether you point to the Bengals game or a couple other performances where they face sort of bottom five secondaries, they haven't necessarily been able to open up a lot of these teams just because of the quick passing nature within their playbook. So uh, the Raiders pass defense, still an enormous liability. If this becomes a game of sort of chucking it back and forth for both teams, then all of a sudden this inflated number is pretty large to cover for the Oakland Raiders. But the Raiders are going to get so much attention with this being the, an early start in the afternoon slot at 2.05. Uh, all of that narrative is just going to fuel a ton of money here on the Raiders. So it, it's not a spot I'm buying into. Uh, I don't know how anyone can necessarily make the case at this big of a number for Oakland. And as much as, as much as there's going to be people buying into that narrative, I assume there's also going to be people on the other side of the market that are ready to to f- fade it when it kind of almost gets bought in too much. Do you reckon that could be the case? It should be. We haven't seen it yet. Uh, probably we'll see that at 7 um, but certainly there hasn't been much resistance uh, since this got to six and a half. I think that speaks into if you're going to be opposing a narrative like that, you would like to have something in your corner in terms of backing a team um, going against it. And there's just really not a lot of support anywhere within the market for Jacksonville. But I do think if this gets to seven, we probably see it turn back the other way. Now we've got Cleveland Browns at the Arizona Cardinals. Another one this week where the over-under seems to be getting the attention. We've had quite a lot of that. This one's moved from 46.5 out to 49 in the last couple of days. Handicap has stayed the same at minus two on the Browns. So maybe potentially looking at it, we might see that get to the three before Sunday. The Browns are doing their best to keep hold of those playoffs, hope, but they haven't exactly been convincing. We saw some big moves on the Browns' futures before the season. All that hype around Baker Mayfield, that was the main reason for that. He really hasn't lived up to expectation, but I'm guessing he's going to be hoping for a big game here against what is a poor Cardinals defense. The Cardinals themselves had quarterback issues with Kyler Murray, started pretty slow, then started to get better, but had a poor game against the Steelers last week. What are your thoughts on this matchup? Uh, You were probably pretty nice there in saying it's a poor Cardinals defense. Um, 32nd. In, on the season, dead worst in the NFL, defending the pass from a success rate perspective, 9.2 yards allowed for the season against. That's an enormous number, and it's actually trending worse in the last four weeks. Hard to imagine it getting worse than that, but this is a secondary that has not been able to put together any performances worthwhile. We know Cleveland, they've played an extremely difficult schedule of opposing pass defenses. When the matchup has been favorable, you look at those teams that they faced that have been below average. Miami last week against the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, this is when they have success throwing the football. This is when Baker Mayfield's most comfortable. And this is when this offense really clicks. So um, there's no question in my mind that this is going to be another one of those scenarios in the control conditions of Arizona on the fast surface. The Cleveland Browns are going to be able to move the ball, either running it or passing. Really, whatever they want to get from their offense, they're going to be able to do. For Arizona, it's interesting, too, because last week against the Pittsburgh Steelers in a spot that I felt was a pretty dead set over, um, they were in the, they were in the red zone. Both of those teams had combined seven times, converted just two of those red zone attempts. Murray with a couple interceptions down inside the opponent 10-yard line. Uh, but Arizona really wants to run the football. That's where they have a lot of success. And it really, from that wide personnel, sets up quite well for them whether they're looking to Johnson or Drake. Uh, But this is a team that's continuously relied more and more on the run as the season goes on. 
And that's where Cleveland's getting a lot worse as the season goes on. Now into the bottom 10 in terms of defending the run. So also, this is going to be a big challenge for Cleveland against Tempo. Really something they haven't seen uh, for about the last six weeks now. Going against Arizona, the fastest team in the NFL, snap to snap. Last week against the Steelers, the referees did a phenomenal job to go out of their way and prevent the Cardinals from being able to play hurry up. I don't really recall a time where I've seen referees standing under center where the play clock was below five seconds. So the Steelers did a lot with how they were subbing coming on and off of the field. And the refs were extremely generous to allow them to do that. And it really slowed down this Cardinals offense. You could see a lot of frustration in the faces of Kingsbury and Murray not being able to get those plays off quickly. I think this is a game where Cleveland kind of buys into that and starts playing a little bit quicker themselves. Uh, But I think that they're sort of stubborn enough on defense that we're not going to see this as a great game plan put together defensively from the Cleveland side of the football. This could turn into a shootout pretty quickly with these teams going extremely fast back and forth, taking advantage of secondaries as well as front sevens that are very weak against a run in the past. So total has been moving up on this, rightfully so. And I think we continue to see it push up towards the next key number of 51 from the current number of 49. We're not one for narratives on this podcast normally, but while we're at it, there's a lot of talk about Odell Beckham and him wanting out the Browns. He's not getting the ball enough. Is that? Do you think that's kind of been the downfall in some of their matches this season, or is that just the press being the press? Uh, it, there's always, a, to an extent, an inflation or sort of uh, an extra emphasis on some of the words said when it comes out of someone like OBJ's mouth or even Baker Mayfield. Uh, overall, this Browns team is just a magnet for controversy, and we sort of expected that coming in. Um, what was concerning to see was him sort of refusing to huddle with the team. He, he's getting kind of the attitude that's coming out of him is is pretty disappointing overall. So I think... Uh, to an extent, a lot of that is validated. Obviously, when you have a talent like that and you're neglecting him and, and neglecting opportunities to get him the football, it's a bit concerning and just sort of speaks to how overwhelmed I think Freddie Kitchens is as a head coach of this team, but also getting in the offensive plays. So uh, I think it's more mismanagement from the coaches than it is um, anything else. But it would have been a very different story had this team just been better prepared coming into the season on the offensive play calling side, uh, they could have got out to a much quicker start. And I think we would have seen them in a different spot, still alive right now, potentially for the playoffs. Um, but they certainly have to win out and then get a lot of help. Now we've got Atlanta Falcons at the San Francisco 49ers. Interesting San Francisco in this one, even at the high opening market, minus 11. They're now minus 11 and a half. It seems to be maxed out there. The totals also bumped up a point and a half as well from 46 and a half to 48. The 49ers are just solid across the board. Falcons are pretty much below average in every metric and their hopes are going to rely solely on Matt Ryan. Interesting numbers for this one. So I'd like to know what, what you make of them. Well, it's becoming a bit of a tall task, I think, for the 49ers. You look at the last three weeks that they've played, that Sunday night game against the Packers, where they threw everything at that Green Bay defense and had scored 37 points, obviously a very good performance, had to play that grueling game against the Ravens in the rain 2017 final. Bit of a heartbreaker for them to lose at the end, not getting that fourth down conversion. Then they they stay in Florida for the week to prep for New Orleans, 
and they end up playing what is probably going to be the game of the regular season for fans to watch 48-46 final, another game that took a full four quarters effort for the 49ers to come out with a win and be competitive in that game. So we're really looking at a spot since uh, the 24th of November where the San Francisco 49ers have played three elite opponents. We can It's fair to call all three of those teams elite at this time, despite what I think of Green Bay. But in back-to-back weeks now, as grueling of games on the road, being away from home for 14 days that we've seen. And this is a number and, and a spot where we've seen San Francisco laying big numbers at home this season, uh, coming out of difficult games, most notably the last time against Arizona, uh, coming off of that Seahawks game that went to overtime on Monday Night Football. Uh, they were similarly a large double-digit favorite where the market moved against them slightly. And they came out extremely flat. So this is not a team that um, doesn't have a history of starting slow coming off of games like this. So looking at this number just as a whole, I th- I wouldn't be surprised to see a bit of a slow start from the 49ers considering what they've gone through in the last two weeks. The one sort of reprieve from that, and I know Arizona is probably not necessarily uh, uh, it would indicate any different, but Atlanta uh, the second worst team against the pass and also extremely poor against the run. So it's not like you're getting a difficult defense coming in with the Falcons. Um, obviously no division familiarity between these two teams either. Um, so it's, it's really Shanahan knowing that uh, knowing this Falcons team from when he was there rather than the other way around. I don't think there's going to be that much game prep going back and forth based off that sort of existing relationship between the two teams. A little bit different with Arizona, a team that they saw two weeks prior where the Cardinals were able to get that quick jump. So it's a big number. It gets a little bit messy to lay and end up backing San Francisco uh, as promising as the numbers are in favor of the matchup for San Francisco. I think this number at 10.5 is actually quite well set. Uh, I could see potentially this total, though, continuing to tick up, knowing just how weak the Falcons' defense is and how underrated, I guess, the Falcons' passing attack is, rating in the top 10 for success rate against this 49ers' defense, which is starting to have some injury concerns of their own. Now it's LA Rams at the Dallas Cowboys. The Rams are just about favorites on the road at minus one for this. We're seeing some action on them at that number, but you have to wonder just how far it will actually go. The over-under has also been creeping up and is currently pretty close to an even split on 49. The Cowboys, they're stumbling their way into the playoffs, I guess. Uh, the Rams, they, they're looking better and better. They put in a big performance against the, Sea against the Seahawks. Jared Goff, when conditions are right, Adam, when they're right, he can play well. Gurley is looking good again. The market seems to like the Rams for this. Uh, are you in the same boat? Well, the checklist would now, considering where this number has moved, be sort of two or three against Goff. He's on the road. He's laying points. And the pressure's sort of to be determined against this Dallas Cowboys team, which is um, not going to not gonna overwhelm any quarterback, but they can still generate a little bit of pressure too. So it's not all three working against them, but I think there's a lot working against the Cowboys here. And quite frankly, I'm a bit surprised to not see this number take a turn back it's the second week in a row that the rams have opened as a three-point underdog and bet been bet through the zero now showing as a one and a half point favorite so second week in a row there's been a four point plus move in favor of the rams coming off of the three through the zero and then pricing them in as favorites put forward a very good performance against the seattle seahawks um matched up against this dallas cowboys defense it's surprising but 
This Cowboys secondary has just fell off of a cliff the last four weeks. They're now 22nd in pass success rate defense. And against the run, they've had some issues too as well, 21st in that regard. So what was really shaping up early in the season to be a very good defensive unit has just gone on the worst trajectory possible for the Cowboys. So considering how balanced the Rams are looking offensively, I think it becomes a really difficult game plan for the Cowboys to put together on the defensive side of the football. And then offensively for the Cowboys, nothing's clicking outside of the first drive. And it's clear there's issues within the coaching staff and the team and the communication between them. But this is the Rams defense. As much as the offense for LA is getting disrespected, the Rams have been top 10 in both passing and rushing defensive success rate for the entire season. And that's still the same right now. Um, since Jalen Ramsey arrived, some of these trending numbers have them inside the top five, depending where you look for both rushing and passing. It's been a very big change to the secondary. This is a very good defensive team. And if the Cowboys can't find Amari Cooper like they have been in the last three games where they've struggled to have him make any explosive plays and they're just so discoordinated on offense in terms of the play calling, it could get awfully messy for Dallas trying to move the ball against this Rams secondary. So uh, numbers probably adjusted a touch too far. Uh, I think Pickham's probably a little bit better of a price. The Dallas home field advantage is, is not large. You're looking at maybe two to two and a half points. This is not a significant uh, home field advantage price tag here. So if you have the Rams right now where they are, it, it's probably taking this a touch too far. Um, so I would expect some Dallas money to come in a little bit later in the week as we get closer to kick. But a very difficult market to bet into side of total right now. Yeah, and quite clear from those numbers just how badly the Cowboys have, have dropped away. With that, is it... I guess it's not just a case of maybe looking at the drop-off, but then do you spend extra time kind of researching and looking more into what's caused that drop-off or, or how has it come about? Is there, is there value in doing that? Uh, to an extent. I think it's really difficult to sort of pinpoint it on one thing because it is a coaching issue, I think, quite clearly. So trying to estimate the efficiency of the game plan from week to week is is extremely difficult to do. And in many ways is unpredictable. It, we've seen them put forth ideal sort of game scripts in the first 15 plays the last two weeks. But their willingness to go off script and off of game plan has really cost them uh, both against the Bills and then again last week against the Bears. So with extra prep, you would think that they could put together a quality game plan to attack this Rams defense. But it just hasn't been the case. So you can look and try pinpoint it. But assuming any efficiency within this coaching staff is is extremely hard to do and extremely hard to put your money behind. We'll get on to the Minnesota Vikings at the LA Chargers. This one jumps out as a very stable market. The Vikings still on the minus two and a half, just half a point coming off the total, which is now at 45. The Vikings are a bit of a mixed bag. They seem to get the job done against teams that they would be expected to, but then they come unstuck against the elite teams. And I mean, they're pretty much just an average team. Uh, the Chargers getting talked up a bit, but beyond a good Philip Rivers performance against a very poor Jaguars team, I'm not really sure there's that, that much there either. Two pretty stable teams here with the numbers suggesting the Vikings are probably just the better of the two, but but not by much. Do you agree with that? So, yeah, I think your last point there was important because LA has the smallest home field advantage in the NFL. So you're going to apply the least amount of home field advantage 
to this price, um, usually you'd be looking at sort of like a standard two and a half or three, which would indicate Vikings. If you do the whole math thing where you reduce the home field and it's not always a clear equation that, to how you just remove it, but um, it would be suggesting that the Vikings are roughly five points better, but with the next to nothing given to the charges for home field advantage, that five points is obviously much less. So uh, you're much, you're very accurate in saying that these two teams closer than they are um, one advantage showing for the Vikings. I'm surprised by this total. So yesterday I was sitting and watching the screen and it actually dipped from 45 and a half down to 44 and a half right around this time, lunchtime on Wednesday, Mountain Standard Time. And it sat there for like five or six minutes. I'm watching the screen, watching the screen. And I ended up pulling the trigger on the over. And within about 10 minutes, it went back up to 45 and a half. And now it's kind of settled a little bit lower. So we're not going through any key numbers uh, but I don't know what would have caused that move down because I look at this game, it's two secondaries that are 20th and 27th in pass efficiency defense and two run defenses that rank 20 and 30th respectively and then two passing attacks that are 10th and 4th and two top 10 running games that are extremely difficult to defend because of the scheme. Minnesota with the outside zone, the Chargers with their duo combination between uh, Gordon and Eckler so, like, this is a terrible matchup for two very poor defenses dealing with the opposing offenses. And I, I did some digging into the weather. And in Carson, California, there's rumors of wind gusts up to 25 miles per hour. But based on how the stadium is situated and the accompanying conditions to go along with that wind, I'm sort of equating that move yesterday down to a bit of a misread into the weather report. And overall, we know that when games with wind get above the 20-mile-per-hour mark, it typically results in the total closing just shy of 40, around 39.5. So it's natural that we're seeing these moves down, especially this time of year, where people really start paying attention to and buying into the weather. If there's any, any prospect of wind whatsoever, it's going to pull the total down just a little bit. So I'm just, I'm going to equate this move. It opened 45 and a half, got down to 44 and a half before making a U-turn. I think this is just a misread into the weather because there's nothing whatsoever between the matchup on the on-field analysis or even within the numbers that would suggest that this total should be in the mid forties. should be a lot closer to the key number of 47 at the high range of these numbers. Uh, even from a pace perspective, as slow as the chargers play, this is a Viking secondary that has an enormous liability at both cornerback positions. And now Xavier Rhodes and Mike Hughes are both on the injury report. So they may be looking for depth guys to step in and cover some very good receivers for the LA Chargers. I just, I don't buy into this move down to the to the under. That's why I got in and the over at 44 and a half. I think this is a number uh, that's awfully short and I'm pretty content having the over ticket in my account. Now we've got Buffalo Bills at the Pittsburgh Steelers and I think everyone knew this was going to be a low total. To see 35.5 on the board after opening up at 37 might be a bit of a surprise. We will get onto the matchup in a bit, but we're obviously just looking at the weather forecast now and it's 35 degrees Fahrenheit. Just snow showers it looks like, so maybe justification for the drop there. In terms of the market's reaction, it's a tiny lean towards the over, but not much in it now. The handicap has better split. As well, Steelers on minus one and a half. Two pretty good teams. It's quite clear how similar they are in terms of their biggest strength on defense. They've also struggled a bit on offense. 
Is there anything more to this than how these two defenses perform? 35 degrees Fahrenheit and chance of snow is golf weather in Manchester. <laughs> that's that's 17 over in, in Manchester. That's Yeah, so I mean, to think that it would have effect on both of these offenses when it doesn't have effect on Ben Cronin golfing uh, <laughs> is a bit of a stretch, I think. Um, it, look, you, you, again, you, you're getting very good at framing these games and these handicaps. It, it's all about the defenses here. And there's issues for Pittsburgh more so than there are Buffalo in terms of the injury front. So you look at the Steelers' injury report. James Conner, Jalen Samuels, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Vance McDonald. So running back one and two, wide receiver number one, tight end number one, all on the injury report Wednesday as well as Thursday as limited or non-participants in practice. And this winning run for Pittsburgh has come against Cincinnati, Cleveland, and Arizona the last three weeks defensively in efficiency those teams ranked 20th 16th and 28th so this was an offense that had a lot of issues especially middle of the season post ben post mason rudolph where there was a lot of concerns about what this offense was going to do to find any sort of weapons and now the weapons that they found in guys like samuel and mcdonald's who's taken on a bigger role they're on the injury report now too along with mainstays connor and smith schuster so they're having success against very poor defenses. And now, this week, enormous step up. Buffalo fifth in defensive efficiency. If they're going to be without some of these guys, specifically Connor and Samuels, we know that the weakness of Buffalo on defense is defending the run. If they're without running backs one and two, I don't know where a run game comes from for Pittsburgh, which is still going to put pressure on Hodges under center, who... I think we're forgetting is a third string quarterback that was never anticipated to see any playing time this season. Overall, the games that he's played in, he went to the West Coast to play the Chargers, and then he went to play the Arizona Cardinals. Both of those two teams, bottom of the league, bottom eight in terms of pass efficiency defense. So both of his starts have been against very favorable opponents. The time he saw against the Cincinnati Bengals, again, was a favorable defense. He came in late in that game. So it's a difficult sort of step for me to get to, to think that Pittsburgh in this matchup is going to have any success on offense, especially if they're going to be without those four guys, specifically Connor and Samuels, who are going to have to be the guys in the running back. If, if, if Buffalo was able to limit Mark Ingram, I know that was a couple ifs, uh, but if they were able to limit Mark Ingram, I don't think that Benny Snell is going to have success against them if Baltimore and that, exotic running game couldn't obviously concerns for Josh Allen against the top second secondary his numbers have fell off of a cliff unless they've been against the bottom eight secondaries this season when he's had to step up in class he's made a lot of mistakes but overall this really comes down to Buffalo and their up tempo as I mentioned in the Cardinals game last week the referees did a very good job of controlling the subs and really gave Pittsburgh the benefit of a doubt but in the second half of that game when they showed the sidelines, guys like Watt and a number of others in the front seven were gassed on the sideline trying to deal with the tempo that Arizona was playing. And it really wasn't that significant of an uptick in tempo because of how the referees controlled the game. Buffalo, since week 10 and the shift in their offense with Dabal moving from the sideline up into the booth and some shifts in the play calling that they've, uh, in, they've put into their playbook, 
Buffalo's jumped up to seventh in terms of neutral state pace. So with this total being so low and this point spread being right around the pick'em, you can expect the majority of the game to be within that neutral game state. That's when Buffalo plays very quickly. So this works into their benefit this week where the more tempo they play with, the more the pass rush of Pittsburgh is negated and the more success they can have on offense. Overall, in just a coaching and offensive coordinator mismatch, I'll take McDermott and Dabble over Tomlin and Fickner pretty well any day of the week. So to see Buffalo getting some points here, not necessarily a spot I agree with uh, in terms of how the odds are set. So I, I think at plus money, you have to look to Buffalo here. And when, when we know that the weather impacts certain people's golfing ability and definitely has an impact on the NFL, if you're using that as part of your approach when handicapping, just how, for the benefit of the listeners, I guess, how far ahead do you look? Obviously, the weather's pretty unpredictable at the best of times. So if it's something you're going to make a play on, how do you, do you leave it till close? Do you want to get ahead of people? What's What's your approach? So when you're looking at something like wind this year, uh, totals have been moving based on wind alone as early as Tuesday morning. We've started to see some of these drops, and it's been pretty consistent throughout the week. There'll be like an initial movement off wind very early, and then it'll sort of hit a bit of a plateau. And then unless there's injuries or other news that comes in, there'll be that overreaction late in the week. So in a game like this, if there's wind and cold, Obviously, with the 45-minute buildup to what's going to be a very big game on NBC Sunday Night Football, now that it's flexed into that spot, there's going to be a very big push on the weather overall. Now, with anything that we can use as a historic reference point for weather conditions and wind affecting a total at 35 and a half, that has far exceeded the floor for the majority of those games and the averages. When you're looking at even like the most extreme wind games, 25 miles per hour plus, those games have an average score line that totals 35 points. So this with not a huge amount of wind forecasted is really at that floor already. And we're really going to probably be buying into or other bettors are going to be buying into the cold weather narrative, which hasn't necessarily had nearly as big of an impact as wind. So you're always looking at the wind earlier in the week and then sort of in the last two hours before the game starts, that overreaction as better start seeing the flags at the top of the stadium or the blowing wind or the guys warming up in extra gear. Um, there's always that late push as well. So depending on what you want to bet, if you're looking at unders and the wind is the angle you like, you really want to get it earlier in the week. If you're looking at overs, and there's potential on weather, you want to wait till last minute because that's when there'll be that late push driving it down even further. So last up, we've got the Indianapolis Colts at the New Orleans Saints, and the traders have got the Saints at minus eight on this. Uh, it's the mark they opened up opened up at. Um, they have put a point on the over-under as well and moved it out to 46.5. Two crazy games from these two last week, and both of them came out on the losing side. The Colts are struggling with injuries. We know that's going to have an impact on both the matchup and the lines that we're seeing. They're going to have to rely on the defense to limit Drew Brees, who, if you're to be believed, he might limit himself. Um, can the Colts do anything with the ball here, or, or will Brees and the Saints have enough to get past them? Interestingly enough, T.Y. Hilton is back in practice. Um, surprised. He couldn't suit up last week against the Buccaneers. Uh, he's a very tough guy, but obviously couldn't give it a go. And now he's coming back week 16. So he's sort of been the exception for the injuries this season to sort of bigger name players for the majority have been shut down. T.Y. Hilton coming back 
I, I'm not sure why necessarily in this case against the Saints, but if he's practicing today on Thursday, that's a pretty good indication that he's going to be able to go. That's going to get this total moving up. Looking at 46 and a half right now, that's going to turn into a 47, if not higher. Uh, the Colts, despite some of the results in the last couple of weeks, Jacoby Brissett, a, a little bit underestimated from within the market. He's still with very limited weapons at times without his top five offensive players has still been taking shots down the field, taking chances and behind this offensive line, which can negate a lot of the uh, pressure up front that the saints can generate. I think he's going to have time to throw the football. If he's got Hilton there, he's got Mac in the backfield. That's going to set up very good as well. And the saints really starting to deal with injuries of their own. Last week on the show, we mentioned the issues they have at linebacker. 49ers were able to exploit that uh, with relative ease. Now this week, it's getting even worse with extra guys on the defensive line. Davenport now ruled out for the year with injuries. Uh, the linebacker issues still result. And then Marshawn Lattimore still not necessarily 100%, but there's guys all across the field for the Saints, especially on the defensive side of the ball, um, who have some issues. And there's guys that are going to be playing in this game less than 100%. So an opportunity for the Colts to move the football, especially with Hilton back. This total is going to go up. And the Saints, as much as Drew Brees' arm obviously limits them, this is a Colts team that plays a lot of zone defense. That's where Michael Thomas has a lot of success finding open space. Um, this is a, probably a spot where the Saints have equal success moving the football. So wouldn't look to get involved with the side here. Uh, I think eight and a half, nine is a pretty good number for the Saints. If anything, maybe just a touch inflated. Uh, but this is a total and a game that's probably going to see quite a few points and a number that's going to continue to move up. And that is another slate of games previewed. Another weekend of NFL action coming up. And before you know it, we'll be back again looking ahead to week 16. I'm I'm trying not to think about it. With each passing podcast, I'm beginning to wonder what we're going to do when the season's over, Adam. Well, the the XFL happens to get going a week after the NFL. So <laughs> if you really want to get crazy, we can go the direction of the XFL. We can get into some Latin America domestic soccer leagues. Uh, right around early February, Colombia gets going. Peru gets going. Um, there's options if you want to continue going back and forth once a week at least. We'll put it to the listeners, see what they have to say. That's not a bad idea. All jokes aside, thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it, as I'm sure our listeners do. So so thanks again. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time to uh, let me air some grievances. Looking forward to the games this week. And thanks to everyone for listening. You can bet with all the latest odds that we discussed on today's podcast on Pinnacle.com. Good luck with any bets and remember to always gamble responsibly. 